proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to reorganize your entire office on a Sunday afternoon. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about our personal taste in games. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, Unmatched Battle of Legends Volume 2 and The Hunger. Then, we discuss how our personal tastes in games have evolved over time. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the main episode, and that is that we are still wanting your questions for us for our special Q&A episode coming up, episode 150, which is our next episode, as a matter of fact. I can't believe 150 episodes are almost <laughs> at, like, that just kind of blows my mind, but we are doing a special Ask Us Anything Q&A episode where we are, you, all questions are on the table. You all can ask mm -hmm. us whatever you want. I'm not guaranteeing we'll answer all of your questions, <laughs> but we'll answer as many of them as we can. And uh, You can submit questions basically via any means. So you can email us, boardgameblitz at gmail.com. You can go to our Board Game Geek Guild. That will be linked in the show notes. You can go to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of the places, and leave us a question and just say that it's for our Q&A episode. And we're going to pull questions from all of the places, and we're going to be recording that in the near future. So Please make sure you get those questions submitted now. Recently, I got a review copy of Unmatched Battle of Legends Volume 2, which is published in 2021 by Restoration Games, and the art is by Zoe Van Digic. So Unmatched is a two-player, well, two to four players dueling card game with different characters. There's volume one, which came out in 2019. And then there's a lot of expansions with different characters and they're all like, they all work together. You can play because, because when you play each person picks a character and then there's a board as well. So you, you have to have a board and then each person picks a character and then, but they can play on any board and each character has a deck of cards that have their powers and actions and stuff. So the way the game works is you draw cards and then you have your little miniature on the board and you can move or you or play cards to attack the other player and then like the attack works by like you play a card face down and then the other player can play a defense card face down and whoever has a higher number will win and then there's special powers on all the cards each player is different and like the the decks are kind of thematic so in battle of legends volume two the characters are yanenga achilles sun wukong and bloody mary I wasn't familiar with all of these, but they're all like legendary heroes from different cultures. Or I guess Bloody Mary isn't really a hero. Yeah, no, <laughs> Bloody Mary's definitely not a hero. In fact, she terrified me when I was a kid because when I like before elementary school, my mom would drop us off at this woman's house who did like before before school babysitting, basically. And there was a whole bunch of kids that would go over to this lady's house and we would mm -hmm. all be there together. And we definitely did the whole like you send somebody into the bathroom with the lights off and they have to say Bloody Mary into the mirror three times. And it was terrifying. <laughs> I don't know why it was terrifying fine but it was uh, yeah so i didn't really know about that when i looked it up on wikipedia because the art on bloody mary is scary it's like a horror yeah she's literally scary. like breaking out of a mirror it's yeah. like oh she looks like like the girl from the ring or something like yeah i don't like, I don't very, like very horror. 
So, <laughs> so it can be kind of scary. Um, and the art's different in all the different characters. But yeah, Bloody Mary is, has some scary, scary art. Yeah, her cards are like intense. <laughs> yeah. So it, the game itself, I've played it once at two player and once at four player. So in, in four player, it's like, you can either play free for all or team two versus two. So we play two versus two, but I think it's probably best at just a two player game, one versus one, but it's a casual competitive game, I think. So usually when I play two player games, I like either cooperative or heavily competitive games. So like this isn't really my type of two player game that I usually would play uh, because like a lot of the attacks and what you're doing depends on your card draw and your opponent's card draw as well. So like, I like games where you have mind games with the other player and you're trying to like counter them. But in Unmatched, there's not that much of that because even if you know the decks well, like it depends on what you draw and you don't necessarily know what your opponent drew. So yeah, it, it didn't feel as uh, heavily competitive as other two-player games that I like as much. But it was a nice, it was like a fun, quick, casual, competitive game, <laughs> I, I think. So, yeah, I think Unmatched is more approachable than yeah. a lot of other, like, tactical two-player games. Yeah. And the components are super nice. So I, I think we've mentioned this before, but, like, the art the art is nice. Uh, well, except for Bloody Mary is really scary. But I guess it, <laughs> that's thematic. It's nice, but not in the way, not in, like, the nice way. <laughs> it, it's, it's good <laughs> thematic art. Uh, and the components, there's a, a miniature for each character that, and they're, like, kind of washed miniatures so it's like you know the shading of of the paint it's not painted but like there's a gray wash black wash on it or something and then yeah, they look they look nice and yeah. they don't like it makes me feel less guilty about the fact that i don't paint minis with yeah ones, you know like they still look pretty legit <laughs> yeah and then some heroes have sidekicks so like achilles had a sidekick uh peric I don't remember his name. Patroclus. Patroclus, yes. Um, they're, and, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're lovers, and it's wonderful. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know all of these. I should learn more about the uh, myths. But um, yeah, so the sidekicks are little plastic or thick plastic tokens. And, and then there's like character dials, dials that have the health bars of each character. So that's all like really nice. Yeah, so the whole game of Unmatched would take like 20 minutes. Well, it says 20 to 40 minutes on BGG. So yeah, like it's a it's a quick, casual, competitive game. So that's fun. Um, and if you're interested in those characters, then it's pretty thematic, I think. Like the cards have different things that are thematic for each character, which is kind of neat. Yeah, it's, it's asymmetric. Like you'll have mm -hmm. similarities between decks, but every deck has unique stuff yeah. in it. So it's different every time you play, depending on which character you select, which is kind of neat. It provides some neat mm -hmm. um, variability if you're looking for like a fun experience. But I have, so I've played Unmatched before. I actually just got volume two as well, but I haven't mm -hmm. played with those characters yet. The thing in Unmatched, the decks are somewhat relatively evenly matched. But yeah, if you don't know what could be coming in some of the decks, you could get completely demolished. Like, I think it was, <laughs> I think it's Medusa's deck that has like one card that's like crazy powerful. And if that card comes up and the person's able to play it, they can really tank your life points a lot. I think it's nice to have some familiarity with the cards, but it is also nice that like you don't have to like know the whole deck inside and out like you do with some games, you know? Yeah. Like, you don't have to be completely... But yeah, knowing what is possible is good. So mm -hmm. I recommend if people play, they look through each deck, at least, like, <laughs> glance through everything first, because otherwise you can really get blindsided. 
<laughs> yeah, we did. We just played the first game without looking at the decks at all. And then Toby was Sun Wukong and I was Yanenga. So Yanenga is a ranged shooter. And then Sun Wukong has like clones. But then he had this one card that did like seven damage if something happened and then that thing happened. So I was like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, it's like all the other cards are like three or four attack. And then there's like seven. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. But I barely won because we both ended up running out of cards. So like he couldn't, we couldn't defend against each other or like he couldn't defend against me at the end because uh, he used his last card and then I had two more cards and could barely beat him. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Deck management is definitely a, yeah. a key thing in that game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was Unmatched Battle of Legends Volume 2. <laughs> I recently got to have a couple of friends over for an in-person game day to celebrate mm. my friend's birthday. And he brought over a few new games that he had acquired. And you'll probably hear about more about some of the other games from me in other places like Dice Tower Tonight. There are a couple with really cool like visual components. So I want to do those on Dice Tower Tonight so I can show off. I actually mm. made him leave two of his games with me. I was like, <laughs> you have to leave these here. He, of course, he was like, sure, whatever. That's fine. Or just um, these components. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, honestly, I would have like, you, 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 I don't want to spoil what those are. But then... We played at the end of the night, we played one last game that I did not make him leave with me because there's nothing special visually about it. It is called The Hunger. And I had not heard about this. I hadn't heard that it was coming out. I didn't know what it was. For all intents and purposes, it is a game very much like Clank, for those of you who are familiar with Clank, where you are going down a path, trying to get to the end of it, and then trying to come back up the path to get back to the home base, basically. But in The Hunger, instead of being adventurers going down into the underground to fight a dragon, in The Hunger you are vampires who are trying to hunt humans and then get to the end, collect a rose, and get back to the castle before daytime comes and burns you alive because you're a vampire. So the, it, it is a deck builder, just like Clank is as well. And the cards that you add to your deck are humans that you're hunting, special powers and familiars that'll give you abilities. Some of the familiars are permanent and will stay out on the table and some of them go into your deck. The interesting thing about this is in a lot of games like this, you have multiple types of currency. Your movement points and the way you obtain cards are often different types of currencies. But in this game, it is all one currency. It is speed only. So any cards that have speed on them, you total that up. And then whatever that number is, let's say you have seven speed on the cards you drew, you have to use that both to move and to acquire cards from the market. And the way cards are acquired, each card doesn't have an individual cost. They have a cost based on where they are on the market board. So anything in the first column costs three speed. If cards don't get bought in that first column, after a round ends, they shift over one spot. And then all the cards that are in that column cost two speed. And if they don't get purchased there, then they shift into this really wide area at the end of the board that can hold as many cards as possible. And it's one speed to buy all of the cards in a particular group on that last part of the board. So theoretically, you can acquire a lot of cards very cheap if they've shifted over. Although obviously if they've shifted over a couple of times, they might not be quite as good or they may have some negative effects on them. Here's the thing. 
This game is designed by Richard Garfield, who some of you may have heard of for designing things like Magic the Gathering, for instance. He's very well renowned. He's a talented game designer who has come up with a lot of really cool games. And especially when it comes to deck building, you know, he's done a lot of really good work. I don't know if I set my expectations too high this time around, but I was very disappointed by the hunger. We were kind of trying to speed run it because we were at the end of the gaming night and we kind of all needed to wrap up. And so we were like trying to focus on more on movement than on hunting humans. And we still had a very, we were on the hard side of the board. Technically there's an easy side and a hard side. And we were on the hard side, so that's important to note. But we could barely get to the rows and back, even trying to speed run it. The rose cards that you acquire by taking, you know, going all the way aren't even that good. So like when we, after we got there and got the roses, we were like, wait, why did we do this? Like, it seems like this is kind of pointless. Honestly, my friends and I decided that the best strategy for this game would to not be to go for the rose at all, would be to like go into the forest or the plains and just walk back and forth every turn hunting humans until it got close enough to the end of the game that you could just go back to the castle. Like, <laughs> again, I've only played it once. You know, there could be some really cool strategic things that I missed, obviously, on a first play, but it felt broken in a number of ways. The agency you have, the decisions you need to make, the things that are available to you. Some of the humans, when they're in your deck, they don't give you any speed, so they kind of clog up your deck, even though they give you points at the end. And some of them have detriments on them. There's a few humans that have a confused trait on them, and when one of those comes out of your deck, it automatically moves you four spaces away from the castle immediately. So if you're trying to walk away from the castle, that's great, but if it's near the end of the game and you're trying to get back to the castle, it's nearly impossible to do so. There's another card type with the humans called Spicy, where the humans want you to go to a well and they stay out permanently until you get them to a well. It felt needlessly frustrating in a bunch of ways. The good stuff did not outweigh the bad stuff. As far as the good stuff is concerned, though, the artwork was really cool. I do like the art in this game. Like, it looks neat. Although the board was shockingly shiny. <laughs> like, the exact opposite of most board game boards. You know how most boards are very matte finish, right? Mm -hmm. This was the shiniest game board I've ever seen, and I don't know why. And, like, with my overhead lighting, there was, like, actual glare that we had to, like, look around. And I was like, this is just annoying. Like, why is it shiny? There was no reason for it. Needless to say... I'm probably not going to be giving The Hunger another chance. If I want to play a game like that, I'm just going to pull Clank off my shelf because Clank is an awesome game. And it's, in my mind, a better game. But who knows? If you really like that vampire theme and you like Richard Garfield's style of deck building games, then uh, maybe give it a chance. But I can't say that I necessarily recommend it. <laughs> Wait, so what's the theme behind... Why do you need a rose? Vampires like roses? I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> No. So, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure why why you're getting a rose. Technically, there are only three roses at the end, and there were four players, and I didn't get a rose. So, oh. <laughs> But oh, that right. didn't even matter in the end. So, <laughs> yeah, that's the hunger. Andy, you and I have discussed multiple times throughout the tenure of our podcast that sometimes it's kind of hard to come up with topics to talk about. <laughs> We feel like we've talked about a lot of things and sometimes it's hard to come up with something new. But I'll admit, when I thought of this idea, it kind of really excited me. 
Yeah, because I don't think we've talked about it before. No, I mean, I'm sure we've we've talked I mean, about it like in, indirectly, right? Yeah, we've definitely we've definitely discussed it in the midst of other conversations, but we've never had a conversation specifically about how our gaming tastes have changed and evolved over time. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a really good topic for us to look at right now, as we are kind of like occasionally going back to old topics that we've talked about before and reevaluating mm -hmm. things. We actually got a lot of really good positive feedback on our recent episode where we revisited the shame episode that we did very early in the podcast and we said we don't think it's shameful to have not played games and we basically kind of corrected our own mistake in that regard and a lot of people said that they appreciated us doing that and you know trying to reduce the stigma around unplayed games and so I think it would be neat for us to talk about how not just our opinions on games have changed but like our our taste in games have changed over time. Yeah. And for those who have listened to us since the beginning, I guess you, you've kind of heard firsthand our game tastes changing, kind of. Yeah. I, I, I wonder, like, if that's been... I'm sure there are certain parts of it that are noticeable. I mean, technically, mm -hmm. when we started the podcast, Ambi, you had not even played an 18xx game. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and... I used to say that I hated Euro games. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and those uh, things, the, the, the times, they are a change in. Yeah, well, part of that is the game's also changing, so. Very like true. Like the definition of Euro changing. But that that's, um, that's another topic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so should we just like go back all the way to the beginning? Uh, sure. Like when we were kids. We can, yeah, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> so when I actually thought about this, like, Usually I say like, oh yeah, I got into modern games and at first I liked, like I first started playing Arkham Horror and then I started liking, I got into some Euro games and I liked thematic Euros and then I got into 18xx and, but I, I'm an Omni gamer and stuff. But I think like my core tastes haven't really changed that much because when I was a kid, I liked Clue a lot and I didn't like Risk and I didn't know why, but like now my favorite like, I really like deduction games and I don't like area control. And I think that's why I liked Clue as a kid and not Risk. I also like Monopoly just like handling the money, but I didn't like the rest of it. <laughs> I liked being the banker. So I liked, I liked just having the dog token. Like, I loved being the dog. So. Oh, I was the horse. <laughs> okay. So, um, but yes, I guess handling the money is like math, economic game. So I like those too. But, but yeah, so... That my core tastes haven't changed as much, but like the opportunities to play games has changed because I didn't play 18xx before because I didn't know about it and didn't have like a group to play it with or time to play it. And then like after college, I had more time to be playing games in general and then like people, the groups to play with. And then now that I have kids, I, <laughs> the time time has diminished again. So like I'm not playing super heavy euros anymore like I still theoretically I think would enjoy them if I did have like the time to play them but it's just like kind of too much stress to to be playing that game when I have all this other stuff going on in my life but I, I think I would like it so that's a really good point I think much like other things in life tv shows movies mm -hmm. books 
you know, a lot of a person's taste in any particular thing is kind of affected by their life circumstances and other external factors, even if it's Mm -hmm. not something that you're conscious of and why it's affecting you. But if we go back, so if we go back to my childhood, I did play, you know, the, some of the mass market games, but not all of them. Like, I don't mm-hmm. remember ever playing Risk as a kid. I don't think I would have wanted to. So similar to <laughs> you, I, it didn't appeal. I really liked word games. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't have Scrabble, but I had, like, other, like, weird niche word games. I loved Scategories. I loved mm-hmm. Balderdash. I loved Upwords, which is like Scrabble, but a little bit different because you can build tiles on top of other tiles. It's funny. I liked kind of weird, unique, or quirky games to some degree. Like, my sister and I had the Rin and Stimpy cereal box game that was looked like a giant box of cereal, and you literally dug around in this box of cereal trying to pull out, like, different pieces of comic strips. It was very silly. Uh, we had a dexterity game called Arch Rival, where it was, like, this plastic arch of these, like, buckets that made an arch and then you would put pieces in the buckets or take them out of the buckets or something and try not to collapse this bridge basically i loved pretty pretty princess i'm sure no one is surprised by this (laughs) at all and then as you all have heard me talk about a lot i I had the the omega virus and i loved it and Mm -hmm. i loved electronic games i also had dream phone and mall madness (laughs) yes like i do i love kitschy electronic games Mm -hmm. and that's been something my whole life and i think that also influences why I tend to be drawn sometimes to games that come out of Asia as well. Not just like electronic Mm -hmm. games with like some kind of a weird gimmick, but like games out of Asia feel different than like mass market American games generally. Like they they tend to have different mechanisms or different ways of thinking and they like they kind of scratch a different part of my brain sometimes. And I think that's why I like them. And even if theoretically on a rating scale I may not rate all of them as high as other games I've played, they'll stick with me in my brain. They like kind of they affect me a little bit more deeply. I like unique different experiences. And so I think that's why I like things with gimmicks, you know, games out of Asia that feel different than American style or European style games, things like that. Yeah, like I, it's funny th- to see the echoes of the, the games I played as a kid in the games that I play now. Mm-hmm. But even as an adult, since I got into hobby gaming, my gaming tastes have shifted to some degree. I mean, there are games that I start, like, I started playing hobby games in 2007, like, in earnest. One of the first games I learned was Race for the Galaxy, and I still love that game today. So obviously, it's not like my gaming tastes have completely shifted, but they have changed and evolved, and I think I've become more well-rounded, I guess, as a gamer. And so I wanted to ask you, I think for me, I think the podcast has kind of helped me with that and it is like even if I didn't realize it I think it's helped me grow as a gamer and learn to appreciate games of other types or be willing to try games of other types and it's not just for the content you know like I'm not playing things only so I can cover them on the podcast but I think I've been encouraged to seek out new experiences because I could then theoretically talk about them. And then I've ended up discovering a lot of things that I really like as a result of that. So do you think doing the podcast has has caused anything like that for you? I'm not sure if I've discovered anything that I've really liked, but it has made me like branch out more into doing other things. Like my, my content has evolved, <laughs> like the type of content I made, because I've, I've covered different niches throughout 
the time like I did 18xx and then I was doing print and play games and like I I probably wouldn't have done the print and play games if I wasn't making content about it um, because I don't like solo games that much and I don't <laughs> and print and play is like also not something that I usually would do I think so yeah most of those aren't like ones that I really really like or anything although uh I guess Black Sonata was mm. was nice so, so that might have been one that that I discovered because of doing content um <laughs> But I don't know if I would have discovered it otherwise. It's hard to tell because it's just so much part of who we are. <laughs> like that's part of our gaming selves is board game blitz. So like we've been doing it for so long. So it's hard to like separate that. Right. Yeah. No, I and that's something that, you know, other people have mentioned to me, other content creators that, you know, they kind of always have to be thinking about content to some degree and I get like I think I I do that too I don't try and let the podcast or my content directly change what I want to do in regard to mm -hmm. gaming but I think I do let it guide me sometimes like if mm -hmm. I have the opportunity to play you know game A or game B and I've heard a bunch of buzz about game B and a bunch of people are like curious about it I might play that first you know because I'm like oh there might be some value in me playing this and telling other people about it so mm -hmm. I guess I treat it kind of like weirdly like a public service I don't know that doesn't I'm not that important but like I don't know, like, that's why, like, for instance, that's why I talked about the hunger today. Even though mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily my jam, I imagine there are other people like me who will hear a game like Clank and Richard Garfield and they go, ooh, I'm that has piqued my interest. I want to hear more about that. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it because the, I thought those things. I was like, oh, a Clank-like game by Richard Garfield. That sounds interesting. I want to play that. And I was disappointed. And was, it the, was that because my expectations were too high? Is it a bad game? I can't say for sure, honestly. It wasn't the right game for me. But yeah, like I feel like I do choose what games to play sometimes based on whether I think it would be interesting to talk about. But I never let that be the sole reason I play a thing. I, I definitely make sure that I'm playing games that I want to play. And I think I've opened my mind. I'm more willing to try things that wouldn't have immediately appealed because I do want to broaden my horizons and try new things. And that, I mean, that's how I learned that I do really like Euro games in some instances. Nobody, nobody expected me to love Kalis. Nobody, myself included. Why would Crystal like Kalis? It's kind of mean, it's very dry. The theme is boring AF. Like why would Crystal like Kalis? You know what? I don't know, but it's a really fun game and I still don't own it. And I really want, I don't know the, the newer edition is like available some places, I think, but I want the old one, I think. I don't know. But like, if it weren't for the podcast, I don't know if I would have ever played Kalis or other Euro games yeah. like that. Truly. Yeah, the podcast has made me want to play more of like the games that are classics that it's like, oh, I should have played that probably. And then I should probably play it at some point and then talk about it <laughs> because like a lot of people have played it and then it helps them get an idea for what they like about it versus what I like about it kind of but yeah like if I weren't podcasting or doing any content then there would be no reason to compare my opinions to other people <laughs> right <laughs> so let's see I've learned that I like euro games mm -hmm. I I think I have gravitated 
even though some of the games, some of my very favorite games are very really like long ones, you know, ones that take multiple hours to play, I would say in general, the types of games I tend to enjoy the most tend to be shorter length, like I'd say short to medium length games. And that mm -hmm. is probably more a product of my life than anything else. Yeah. But like, it's not just that though, like the, the, the games that have been getting released over the past few years have been, there have been some really solid, amazing games that are really fun and strategic, but don't take that long to play. And if I can get a cool strategic experience in 45 minutes or an hour, as opposed to sitting down and playing a dry, you know, like boring, long Euro game for three hours, you know, you know I got to use the reference. It's, <laughs> I know you're, you're smirking at me, but I would rather generally do the former than the latter. Like, I just, mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I, it's hard for me to want to play those really long games unless there is a draw or a hook for me of some kind. Like in mm -hmm. Battlestar Galactica, the experience is a hook. You know, mm -hmm. I love it. There's a lot of social interaction in it. There's things there. Whereas in something like, I'll just use Agricola as an example. I've never played Agricola, but like, I think there is less appeal for me in a game like that generally because it is less interactive person. I don't know. But like, th but then who knows if I played it, Agricola, I might love it. We don't know. <laughs> I think currently I'm settled at like either 18xx games or party games. <laughs> and then sometimes like <laughs> campaign games for like the mid-weight games um, because we have a group where we're meeting like weekly with with our friends so we can do those campaign games now yeah so like with the euro games early on in the hobby i liked a lot of those whatever the new euro that was coming out midweight heavy euro but i think as i played more of them a lot of them didn't add much new to me like i already have this game like why would i play this one over the one that i already have and like i can just play that one more <laughs> yeah so it was harder to get into the new Euro games versus like a new party game, which is like, it's just a lot easier to get into. And so like playing it, it's less time investment. So it's okay to skip from game to game. Whereas with the Euro, it's longer time investment. It's like, okay, I just want to play the one that I know I love. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think that might be part of why the shorter games are the, are the ones that are like, really played more now for me. And I do want to make a specific note, uh, and we've talked about this in multiple episodes in the past, but that we as hobby gamers, uh, the we, the, the grand we, not necessarily just Ambie and I, but like, I think we've all had moments where we kind of either inadvertently or like in our heads, like judge someone for the types of games that they play. Mm -hmm. I think a good example of this would be like Munchkin. I, early in my hobby gaming career, played a decent amount of Munchkin. I had a friend that owned it. We played it pretty frequently. And I wasn't as knowledgeable about like game mechanisms and good game, quote unquote, good game design. Munchkin is not a bad game. Munchkin does things that a lot of hobby gamers don't like, but there's a reason it sold as many copies as it has. It's fun for a lot of people and it's silly and it's irreverent. And I had a lot of fun with Munchkin. I don't want to play it anymore, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad game or that people who like Munchkin 
you know, have bad taste in games. That's not true. Mm -hmm. They don't. And I think you don't have to evolve is kind of what I'm getting at here. So mm -hmm. I like my gaming tastes have changed over time, but I know people who like a certain set of games, they own a small game collection and they just play those games over and over and over again. And they're perfectly happy with that. And that's totally valid and okay as well. So like, I don't want people to listen to this episode and think <laughs> we're saying like, you have to, your gaming tastes no. have to get better or change over time because that's not the case. But like, it's neat to look back on where you've been and where you are now and kind of see, I think that what has changed. And if that means you're playing different games, great. If that means you're playing that same game that you've loved for 20 years, that's also great. And you know what? Honestly, if I had a friend that just really, truly loved Munchkin and really mm -hmm. wanted to play it with me, I would play it with them because yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, it really is about the experiences that I'm having with other people. You know, the games mm -hmm. are, are a means to an end in that regard. And if I, if my friend gets joy out of something, of course, I'm going to want to experience it with them. So yeah. I just wanted to make that clear that we're not saying like you have to get like your game tastes have to change over time but it, and it doesn't necessarily mean your game taste changed either like i also liked munchkin well i liked parts of munchkin and i, I liked apples to apples a lot um, oh gosh yeah i played a lot of apples <laughs> to apples yeah but it's like the parts that i liked about it it's similar to other party games that i play now it's just like the cards got repetitive and like after playing it a bunch i just got tired of it so it's not that necessarily that the gaming tastes change. It's just that like, I just played it so much. <laughs> well, yeah. And like you, you play two things and you're like, yeah. oh, I just like this one better. And it's yeah. not that the other game is necessarily bad. It's just like, mm -hmm. oh, well, but why would I play that when I have this <laughs> yeah. thing that I like more? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The games change. You, you had this taste, but you didn't know there was a new game that has like the taste plus other stuff that you also like. And I think that's where we as hobby gamers also sometimes get trapped is we we're like, oh, you like Munchkin? And then we overwhelm somebody with all <laughs> yeah, of these other true. games that you might also like, which they might, but sometimes we as gamers can be a little too pushy. So mm. I think you have to be delicate about that kind of stuff. But yeah, so that's how at least our gaming tastes have changed. <laughs> over the years. We would love to hear from you all about how your gaming tastes have changed and evolved over time, whether that's from childhood to adulthood or just in the past few years or even just during the pandemic. I know a lot of people have done different types of gaming in the past couple of years. So drop us a note on our Board Game Geek Guild or on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the usual places. We'd love to hear from you. And you know, if you like tweet us, we might retweet your response or something. So uh, yeah. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as get links to our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Great Fox Games. Visit lastlightgame.com to learn more about the exciting new 4X game coming to GameFound soon. And don't forget that Blitzketeers get 20% off non-exclusive items at greatfoxgames.com when you use the code GFGBLITZ2022 at checkout. Join the Blitzketeer community on Discord by following the link in the show notes. You can support the show by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast provider. And if you want behind-the-scenes access and an invite to our private Slack channel, visit patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Mark. Technical support provided by Toby Mal. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Town Network. Until next time, you'll always be a part of me. I'll play with you indefinitely. Box, don't you know you can't escape me? Oh, darling, because you'll always be my board game. Bye, everyone. Bye.